You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship choir, for leading us in worship this morning. And that really is our heart here, is that Jesus' name uh, would be exalted. We praise God uh, for, thank you, Justin, for uh, Wendy's story of how he is at work in her life. And we celebrate with you as your church family. If you're visiting with us today, let me say to you how incredibly grateful we are that you are here, uh, and we'd love to know who you are and connect with you. You can text the word CONNECT to the number that is on the screen, and one of our Connect team members will follow up with you this week. Uh, Or uh, you can stop by one of the welcome areas on your way off campus this morning, and our team will be there to greet you. I also would encourage you, we are uh, having what we're calling equipping classes for the month of June, so all of our groups are not formally meeting And uh, we have different topics such as uh, parenting and money management and other things. You can find all uh, information about that at the welcome desk. There'll be classes at the 11 o'clock hour. Many of those who are in this room will be attending. And so we'd love for you to participate in those. Uh, You can turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Today we're going to look at 11 uh, through 22, the verses 11 through 22, as we have been looking at those four, excuse me, those verses for the last uh, four weeks. Uh, let me also, as you uh, head there, remind you of Bayshore Kids Clubs, uh, which uh, take place this week at seven different, seven different locations uh, throughout uh, Niceville, Valparaiso. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you have kids that are pre-K through fifth grade, uh, to be a part of one of those. I think they'd prefer that you gave them a heads up. Uh, and you can do that by uh, reaching out to Lucas or uh, stopping by the boat and registering there. Um, the goal here is really to take Vacation Bible School out into the community for those who wouldn't normally Uh, go to church, and so we've seen that grow, and we're excited about doing that. This week, my family will be serving uh, at one of those, and so I would encourage you also, uh, if you're able to serve, that we could use some more volunteers and to indicate that. And speaking of volunteers, uh, we praise God for the opportunity we had yesterday to host uh, the region's uh, Florida Baptist Disaster Relief Training. We had 252 people here on our campus throughout uh, 50, representing 59 churches. Uh, so uh, praise God that we get to be a part of that. And uh, thank you, Mark and Robin Nelson, for your passion and your intentionality and how you're leading people in our church and others uh, to be a part of uh, God's great work. All right, Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through 22. I'm gonna read those verses now. It says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one man excuse me, one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, over the last four weeks, we've looked at this text. The first week, we really kind of looked at all the theological implications of this text, and then we've been looking at implications of this text. And so today, I'm gonna be looking at this idea that we are one Spirit. Now, Whatever generation you grew up in, there are certain images and sounds in your mind of our society appealing to the need for unity. Uh, There are specific recent uh, movements that might be the ones that are ingrained in your mind if you're younger than I am. If you're older than I am, then you probably have a lot of memories from the civil rights movement of the 60s. For me, the earliest memory I have of something related to this, I don't know as me actually remember seeing it, because I was five, but is it being on the news in the years to come? And that was President Ronald Reagan standing in Berlin at the Berlin Wall saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall on June 12th of 1987. And he did this to say, let's create unity here in Germany, but also, you know, to say, let's get rid of communism uh, so that we can be more unified as a global society. Now, almost everywhere you go, there are at least two groups of people who don't like each other. We are aware of the ebbs and flows of racism in this country. If you go to India, you'll find a divide between Muslims and Hindus. We're all too familiar with the division between Sunni and Shiite Muslims. And if you go on the Nextdoor app, there are the people who like the new restaurant in Niceville and the people who don't. Many people in our day love the concept of a multicultural society. But achieving that has proven to be quite difficult. There was an article by Emma Green in The Atlantic not too long ago on how people live in a bubble. She said that even people who live in progressive multicultural neighborhoods end up only hanging out with people just like them. So while our culture is screaming for diversity and inclusion, For most people, the realities of that are very limited. These words, diversity and inclusion, have even taken on definitions and directions that are dangerous. I know that after today, someone is going to email me about how I'm woke, and somebody is going to email me about how I am the opposite. But I want you to understand that my desire never, and in this case certainly, is counter-narratives, but is to appeal to the meta-narrative of Scripture. The root of diversity and inclusion are good. They are something that the church should value and maybe reclaim. Now, another thing that I remember from my childhood in regards to unity was following the riots in L.A., Uh, Rodney King, who was the one who was uh, assaulted by police that were then acquitted, stood at a press conference in the midst of it and said, can't we all just get along. Now that became a joke among somebody who was nine years old like me at that time, but uh, it became an appeal of many people in that day. 
as I think about those words, I'm aware of this. I cannot make everyone get along. And I cannot make you see this. But what I can do today is exhort us who say our loyalty is to Christ from the scriptures to make what is God's desire our desire. And I'm going to do this by looking at how this passage really calls us to peace and to give some practical ways that we can be peacemakers. Pray with me. God, speak through me. Guard me from saying anything that is not of you and speak boldly the things that you want us to hear and help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, bringing about the change for your kingdom's sake in this community and beyond. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. First, look at verse 14 with me. Paul says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, again, you can go back to week one of the series to hear more about the theological implications, but Paul is specifically referring to the physical wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the temple. They had signs warning Gentiles not to cross that wall. They're actually stones that we still have to this day that have the writing on those stones saying these very things. This physical separation was also symbolic of the figurative separation that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul teaches that that this separation should have never existed to the extent that it did and that it definitely does not exist now because of the work of Christ. So, if there is no longer separation between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians because of their cultural differences, then there should not be separation between any Christians for their cultural differences. Now, let's stop here and acknowledge that we may be politically correct enough now to not post signs like this. But we still have walls in our minds that separate what we view as the right kinds of people from the wrong kinds of people. The good from the bad. The safe from the unsafe. Maybe they are racial walls, whether that's black or white or Asian or Hispanic. Maybe it could exist because of education levels. Maybe you only feel comfortable being around people who have a similar education level to you. Or maybe you don't like people who are more educated because you think they are arrogant. There could be a wall in your mind separating the successful from the unsuccessful. Those who have what it takes and those who don't. And you spend your time only with those who do have what it takes. Or maybe you view everyone who has succeeded as some degree of evil. Maybe there's a wall in your mind between the good-looking, popular people and the social misfits. Middle schoolers, that exist in adulthood, maybe even more. Maybe it's a political wall. Maybe you think one political philosophy is good, and so therefore anyone who adopts that is all good, or then therefore those who don't are naturally bad people. There's a wall of those from good families, those who are from messed up families. There's a view that church should be completely modern or that church should hold to certain traditions. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of issues that create walls. These kinds of divides still exist among Christians. 
And they exist at least somewhat amongst the Christians who are gathered here today. They say there are two types of people, two types of Christians. You can fill in the blank with group A, and this group B is this. But Paul is saying the work of Christ is to get rid of subgroups of Christianity and to bring unity. Look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that's the distinction between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus' aim was that there would be one identity shared by Christians, and that is in Christ, and that this makes peace. Now, part of every Christian's identity, part of every Christian's story is God stepping in to change us and giving us peace with him. Without God's intervention, we are headed towards our own destruction. Now, you might have been taught some of these things, but it is clear that God has stepped in somewhere along your family line. Perhaps it began with you. Perhaps you were the first who grasped the gospel. Your parents didn't teach you the ways of Jesus, but through a children's outreach or through student ministry or into your adult life, God changed you. And the direction of your family changed because of this. Maybe it was your parents and you remember something changing in your dad or something changing in your mom and you started going to church and your family began to be different than the rest of your extended family because God had stepped in. Maybe you don't see that distinction, but somewhere along the line, a great, great, great grandfather, God intervened, and they began to pass down a legacy of the faith. God stepped in somewhere along your family line to bring you into the family of God. You may not know this, but even if you were Jewish, I will tell you something. Abraham was once a pagan Gentile. That is how he started until God saved him. That is how we all start until God saves us. So the story is, in Genesis, there's this place called Babylon. They build the Tower of Babel. God judges it. He confuses languages. He scatters the people, and then he chooses a man named Abraham, and God saves him, and God enters into a relationship with him. And one of the most important lines of the Bible, Romans chapter four, verse three, says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was saved by faith through trusting in the grace of God. That is the story of everyone who is in Christ. Romans chapter five, verse six through 11 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God pursued. God reconciled. It was not mutual. 
It was not deserved. It was given to us by grace. It changed us. And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Fellow citizens joined together and built together all come from the same root word denoting a union. Tony Merida says these words emphasize that we have been synced not only to Christ, but also to other Christians. Consider those phrases. Fellow citizens, household of God, stones in a temple. We are a part of one kingdom. We are part of one family. And we are part of God building his place where he intends to dwell. Our identity is an intimacy. To have a passport is one thing, but to have the same father is quite another It is indeed true to understand from the scripture that you and I are children of God, his sons and his daughters bought with his blood, having the rights to the kingdom. But we are not listening to the Father's heart if we forget we have brothers and sisters. When my children are talking trash about their brothers and sisters, I have six, it happens, I have to remind them sometimes You know that's my child you're talking about, right? Our Heavenly Father loves all of his children. Pastor Michael emphasized last week, our vision here is to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, become who he's created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. So in other words, our vision is to make disciples. To become a disciple of Christ is to be someone who is characterized by an appreciation of the differences of citizens of the kingdom of God and the unity we have because of the blood of Christ. Now, at the risk of sounding trite on such a great theme and such a great goal, I want to spend the rest of my time giving you some practical encouragements. But know that this is deeply connected to your identity In Christ, if you ever find yourself not willing or not able to do these things, there is most likely a need for repentance. If you will notice, these encouragements will be about you. You can't control others. And this is regardless of others. You need to be working on you to view people the way God views them. Because if you're not, this will never be solved. I don't know if you've heard me tell the story or someone else tell the story of the man who was found on a deserted island. Whenever he had been found after being there for two to three years, they found four buildings that he had constructed, four huts that he constructed. Of course, whenever they wanted to take him away back to the mainland, they asked him, what are those four huts? He said, well, I got bored and so I wanted to separate things in my life. One is my home, that's where I slept. The other is my work, where I would work on projects and things I wanted to do to keep me busy. And the other is my church, where I went to worship God. And they said, okay, well, what about the fourth? And he said, oh, that's the church I used to attend before I got mad. (laughs) 
A lot of this is deeply connected to what's going on in our hearts. And again, God calls us to this regardless of what's going on around us. I often encounter people who have left the church who have left the faith and they tell me the reason is because of sinners in the church or hypocrites in the church. And if you're here today and you like this church and you're thinking, man, maybe there aren't sinners in this church. First of all, you're here. <laughs> Secondly, I'm here. You will find them. And unfortunately, you will find hypocrites in the church. God has not called you to love him and his church based on the, how other people act. He has called you because he is worthy. And so this is what God calls you to. So seven encouragements to be of one spirit. Number one, welcome people. Welcome people. It starts here. Be a welcoming church. People say all the time, the church should be the place that everyone feels welcome, where everyone is recognized, where everyone is noticed, where everyone is important. I agree, you are the church. And if you want people to feel welcomed and accepted and valued, you have to play a part in that. We have a connect team, they are great. Most of them smile, but we need to understand that we are all on the connect team. It is the goal for all of us as believers to welcome people into this church family. Welcome newcomers every week. Talk to people you don't know. Make it a weekly aim to welcome someone you don't know. I am okay with us being known as too friendly of a church. If I meet someone who used to come to our church and they're somewhere else and I say, hey, how come you stopped coming to our church? And they said, everybody was just too friendly. That's okay. Find another church because it is incredibly important that we welcome people. We are averaging over a thousand people a week as a church. I can think of nothing more lonely than to feel insignificant in your life, to walk into a church building, to gather with people, to sing about Jesus, and no one talk to you. That can't happen here. And look, at this point, you don't know everybody. I don't know all of you. You can't know a thousand people. Listen, this morning, this happened this morning. I'm not making this up. They gave me permission. Jeremy Hefner and I, who prayed, were walking into towards the sanctuary. He's, he's a deacon here. He's super involved. He's been here a while, twice. And Emily Parkin, who's one of our Connect Team people who's super involved, says, you look familiar, but I don't know you to him. They're both super involved in the church. That's going to happen. I would rather us do that than not talk to people. Be welcoming. This should be the most welcoming place in Niceville. Welcome people. Number two, make friends. Listen, thank you so much for all your encouragement. But people can hear a better sermon online. We have a great worship team. People can hear better music online, not because they're more talented, but because of you know the sound engineering and the music lights, videos, all that stuff. Oh, they're so annoying to know they pay everybody. But anyway, you can hear a better experience in preaching and in music online. People are here because they want community. People don't need a friendly 
church. They need friends who are the church. People don't need a friendly church. They need friends who are the church. Now, it starts with being a friendly church, right? I already said that, number one, so let's be friendly. But people need to make relational connections to help them in their walk with Christ. Now, this can be burdensome if we don't organize in a way like the early church does into the cell. Studies have shown that each person has a relational connection limit. So even extroverts can only truly be a friend, not saying friendly, but a real friend to a certain number of people. This is why we have a vision for more and more life groups. As a life group gets a certain size, you have the core that do all the talking and do all the hanging out, and then you have the fringe. Some people are happy to stay in the fringe. This should be a church where it's hard to stay in the fringe because a lot of people wanna be in the fringe to feel godly and not actually interact with God. We want groups of people who are together as friends trying to be like Christ. I don't mean this to be harsher than I intend it to be. I have talked to people who have stuck it out in this church and who have not stuck it out in this church and when they told me why, they said, I was going to groups and everyone there knew each other and we never felt included. I praise Jesus if you find your people. But when you find your people, don't forget what it was like to be on the outside. Don't ever be satisfied with your circle because that is not loving your neighbor as yourself. And what we have to do is we have to then say, hey, if the circle gets too big, we've got to multiply it. We're not saying go out by yourself and lose all your friends, but we've got to be willing to take some friends and go start a new group so more people can be a part of what we want. And if you're thinking, why should I care about that? Because that's the heart of our Father. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's reason enough to be all in in this. Make friends. Number three, don't let preferences become prejudices. In order to be a part of a church with any diversity, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable sometimes with people not doing things your way. Vance Pittman says, the way to know you are part of a multicultural church is that you often feel uncomfortable. Many who want a multicultural church only want a multicolored church. They want the Instagram picture. It's uncomfortable to really begin to value everyone coming from different backgrounds. I do want to applaud those of you who are not part of the majority culture here that come to this church and you have chosen to make this your family. I know it's not always easy for you, but I believe that what you are doing is glorifying Jesus and it is a great benefit to the Great Commission. When Paul went to plant a church in the new city, he didn't plant a church for the Jews on the north side and one for the Gentiles on the south side. Instead, he planted one in the middle and he taught them that the vertical relationship with God should lead to horizontal relationships with each other. That's what you are doing. You could be worshiping more easily with people who look like you or come from the same background as you and you're here and you're emulating Christ by denying yourself for what you see as the good of the family. At one time, this church wasn't very diverse in ages all that much. And there were those who stuck it out. Mark and Jenny Wise, I think about you guys, Brad and Rebecca Ellis. There were a lot of things that you were thinking, man, our church really needs to change. 
but you are part of the family. You are involved in that. Thank you. And a lot of that has changed. But today I should ask the question, are we culturally diverse? Now, I realize this is Niceville and not Orlando or New York City, but we, do we desire to be even more culturally or economically diverse than we currently are? Because that's the heart of God. And are we ready for it if it were to happen? I remember asking our church when I hadn't been here that long, what if 100 new young families came into this church? Will we be ready? Well, we mostly were. There were some who just liked having young families and didn't want to engage. That's why we sometimes have a struggle with having enough people serve in children's ministry because it's like if you're going to have young families, there's a children's ministry that grows. But when it comes to being multicultural and more diverse, I don't think we're ready for it because I think part of the reason is some of us see our way as the way and our preferences, our prejudices. But I want to remind you of something scriptural. Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. And just so you know, that's not some clever James saying. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four and five. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. When it comes to preferences, that passage speaks volumes to us. It is okay to have preferences. We can't help have preferences about worship style, about aesthetics, about programs, about personalities that we like. But a loving Christian understands it's not just about me. In fact, one of our values is we takes priority over me. Philippians 2 verse three tells us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Don't let preferences become prejudices. Number four, be committed to being a disciple of Christ who makes disciples of Christ. So welcome people, make friends, lay down your preferences. But understand the mission of Christ is to lead people to become more like Christ. If God is love, and he is, an invitation for people to come as they are, paired with indifference towards whether they stay as they are, is not an invitation to grace, it's an invitation to condemnation. Churches today are taking our cue from culture that says love is love versus God is love. Churches today are taking our cues from culture that says everybody else's business is not my business. When we join the family of God, our desire is thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A part of being a disciple of Christ is leading people to see the ways of Christ. And so they're welcomed, we develop friendships, we are humble, and yet we show them the ways of Christ. Now, if you think all transformation happens overnight, 
then you might need to examine yourself a little closer. You've been a Christian for a long time. How are you doing with patience? You've heard a sermon about it a lot. You've been a Christian for a while. How are you doing with being irritable? A lot of you know everything there is to know about giving, are you? The Bible, Jesus says, don't worry, and yet, do you? And so why don't we be a little careful before we say people should change everything about their life overnight? Love is patient. We are speaking the truth in love as Christians. We'll look at that in a few weeks. And Jesus desires us to be unified, and he sees love as the key to that unity. John 17, 20 and 21 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This oneness about the work of Christ. This is our aim. Be committed to being a disciple of Christ who makes disciples of Christ. Number five, invest in and invite people of different backgrounds to grow with you. So if you're a disciple maker, be intentional about bringing people into that discipleship community who are different. If heaven is made up from of people from all kinds of backgrounds joining together because they have one Jesus in common, the church should be reflecting that more and more. These people aren't projects, they're people who we desire to engage because of the heart of God. And we need to realize, listen, that we can easily ignore this aspect of the kingdom of God while pursuing Jesus. We can be in church and reading the Bible and still ignore this. Come on. Churches taught the Bible and wouldn't allow black members to be a part of them not that long ago. So if you don't think that we can have scripture and neglect the heart of God easily, you're confused. So let's realize our tendency here and let's take seriously the theme throughout the Bible. Abraham's call to be the father of many nations, the great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and revelation which shows us this beautiful picture of every tribe represented. Now, as you engage with people, there are gonna be problematic differences. And one of four things needs to happen in those problematic differences. Either one, they need Jesus. And so the reason they think so different than you is because they haven't been grasped by the gospel. And so the goal isn't to get them to change all their viewpoints, it's get them to, to get them to see the greatest viewpoint. And then as they follow Jesus, number two, they might be wrong. And so we appeal to them, not based on political, cultural, socioeconomic appeals, but on the scripture. If you trust Jesus, trust him in this area of your life. Trust him with your sexuality. Trust him with your money. Trust him with your family. Trust him. Number three, maybe we're wrong. <laughs> Let's be humble as we approach people who have differences than us. And then number four, maybe it's not essential. Maybe it doesn't matter. And maybe we can be unified around the essentials even though we come at it from different backgrounds. Invest in and invite people of different backgrounds to grow with 
you. Number six, pray for unity with diversity and for your own sensitivity towards others. We may not be Revelation 7, we're clearly not, but that is out in front of us. And it doesn't stop us from being prayerfully and purposefully, intentionally and energetically committed to heading in that direction. A group of people sharing one culture getting together is not miraculous. That happens at football games, rock concerts, and political rallies. But when you have a group of people who have little in common except for a common experience of grace, that points to the magnitude of the gospel and the power of the new person created by the resurrection. And if you're thinking, I don't really care about any of this, I don't really like that, you're probably not going to like heaven because this is heaven. And so we ought to be praying for this. And we ought to be praying for our own sensitivity towards this. I'm praying and God is growing my own sensitivity to the fact that people think differently than me. Sometimes people have had experiences that have caused them to think the way that they think and not that it changes the truth, but I'm just been sensitive to the hurt they may have experienced that have led them to the positions that they are in. Sensitive to the different cultural backgrounds, the different political backgrounds. Pray for unity with diversity and our own sensitivity towards others. Number seven, last one. Preach the gospel of reconciliation to yourself. Seek reconciliation with others because of that. Verse 16 says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is our identity. This is what we preach to ourselves every day. I was an enemy of God and he made me his son. He made me his daughter. And so this affects the way I view people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21 tells us, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has reconciled us to him. And so, out of that, we are led to reconcile people to God and to be reconciled with people. I realize there's great tension, strong personal feelings, depth regarding certain issues. Do not take the cues from our culture that when somebody has done some level of wrong, that we approach them in a way that we are never, ever, ever getting back together. That's okay for a bad boyfriend or girlfriend. 
But the Christian does not view other people this way. We view them in the image of God. And we remember that our sins are many and his mercy is more. And the only way that divisions are dealt with is when the gospel, the grace of God, is preached, is understood, is believed, and it's applied to every area of our life. The source of Christian unity is not water under the bridge, it is blood on the cross. That's the depth of our willingness to forgive and to be reconciled. And that's the banner we wave. We're not dismissing our differences, but we're emphasizing our dependence on the gospel in light of our differences. So as we respond, I realized this morning that there's probably someone here that has a certain view of a certain type of people. And I wanna pray for you. That your view would be God's view. Perhaps it's your view of a specific person. Maybe it's your view of yourself. And because what you've been taught or what you've experienced, you are not taking your cues as a reconciled son and daughter of God. And that's why you're viewing the world the way you're viewing the world. I wanna pray for each of those people and then I wanna pray for our church that God would give us a heart for the Revelation 7 picture. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation at the throne of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you're here with us today. And I pray that there's somebody who is full of prejudice towards a group of people, whatever that group of people is, that they would repent and they would look to you. And they would see their identity first and foremost not in any color but red because of the blood of Christ not in any political party or citizenship but the kingdom of God and that might mean that today for the first time they need to bow at the throne of Jesus Christ recognizing you as king recognizing what you did on the cross and that we were, while we were still sinners, not while we thought right and correct, but while we were still sinners, you died for us. And that grace needs to flow into every area of their life. And I realize that there's personal relationships that have been impacted and I'm not suggesting that there will ever be the same level of trust because of the hurt, but there ought to be forgiveness and love. Lord Jesus, this is your church. Help our hearts to be your heart. Help us to be purposeful, prayerful, and intentional, and energetic about the beauty of that diverse group of people who will be at the throne of Jesus for all of eternity. May that impact us here and the work we do beyond. In Jesus' name I pray.